0: Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the PR Week. That's PR Week's weekly podcast for everything going on in the world of PR and communications. Uh, I'm Frank Washcook. I'm guest hosting this week for Steve Barrett, along with my co-host, PR Week's associate news editor, Diana Bradley. Diana, thank you for being on the show this week.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: And we have a terrific guest for you. That's Shiv Singh. He's the SVP and GM of brand Expedia at Expedia. So Shiv, welcome aboard to the podcast. Thanks for having me as well. Great to be here. Thanks for coming. So Shiv, you, you joined Expedia this January, just this January. And, and I'm thinking back and the world has started and come out of the pandemic a bit. Uh, and you were in the medical technology world before that, and and here we are. And people are getting vaccinated. They're starting to travel again. It seems like you're in a you're in an industry right now that's rife with a lot of opportunity, but but also a lot of places where you have to be communicating very carefully. So, uh, what what has your experience been like so far?
2: Well, uh, firstly, you're absolutely right. It's it's both a very exciting and a challenging time in, in many different respects for us. It's exciting in that we're, we're seeing travel come back. It's coming back in a very big way. You know, every person in every country is, is making their own thoughtful choices with, with guidance from their local governments and their local health officials on how and when to travel. But by and large, without a doubt, and and especially with the U.S. leading the way travel is coming back. Now, having said that, you know, Frank, what's, what's so, so interesting and one of the many, many reasons why I joined the Expedia group in this role is that travel has changed, and it's changed in in, in not in the type of travel. People are going to travel as much, if not more, than they did in the past, that's my personal view, but we what's changed is, we do not take travel for granted the way we once did. I'm a person who's, uh, who's been traveling his entire life. Uh, I think I first got on a plane when I was 12 days old and uh, I've visited more countries than I'd like to admit. Uh, and I wouldn't think twice about getting on a plane, traveling to another country, to another city, whether it was for work or pleasure. But like everybody else, When, you know, our world shut down last March, Uh, I certainly, as did my wife and kids, all of a sudden we were like, wow, there was something really amazing that we really took for granted. Um, And now as a result, when it comes to post-pandemic, I think everyone around the world, and whether it's domestic or international travel, are much more conscientious and thoughtful in how and when and where they travel. And I'll give you two examples of this. And this is why it comes to your point about communication being so different. Uh, And a a personal example, I have a 12 year old and a 10 year old. It dawned on me that I only have seven summers with them, summer holidays, before they go off to college and before I sort of, my influence on them lessens dramatically. Given that they're only seven summers, I wanna be incredibly thoughtful about where I take them on holiday. And coming out of this pandemic, I know more than ever the value of travel and how they can grow and develop through it. So I'm much more sensitive to that. So when you put that as a frame, all of a sudden the way we think about travel starts to change. Another example, coming out of the pandemic, what we found through our research is firstly, people are yearning to travel more than ever around the world. It was missed, it's not like their habits changed and they're not gonna travel. But the the, the critical piece is travel has specific uh, levels tied to it or meaning tied to it. For example, what we're seeing in a lot of our research and what's happening on Expedia at the moment is people are thinking about things like that first hug. You know, the first time you get on a plane and you can go and visit your parents or go and visit your cousins or your brothers or your sisters, whoever, maybe that first hug travel has become a more conscious activity as a result travelers around the world they look for brands with whom they can have more trusted more meaningful relationship because you can't take for granted you have to be sensitive about the health concerns and that's where Expedia does well and that's why it's so exciting for us and and it's also so so critical that we think about how we communicate how we build that trust how we develop those relationships probably different to the way we may have in the past.
1: Shiv, I am, I am with you. I am ready to get traveling again and I'm ready to get back out there. And I was thinking the other day that I even miss going to the airport and getting back from the airport. (laughs) And that, that shows you how much, um, how much I I, I miss traveling and seeing new places and, and just sort of, you know, figuring out all these great things about new places and why they are the way they are and, and things like that. So, what you just mentioned, this this sort of more careful connection that a brand has to have with its customers. Uh, what what does that mean for Expedia? What does that mean for you? How has that changed the way that it, it, Expedia really it puts its foot forward?
2: Yeah. So what it what if we uh, so as we went through the pandemic, um, it's it's been an, uh, quite a journey. Uh, at first, the uh, the business sort of rallied all around helping consumers with, you know, their flight cancellations, hotel changes, all of that stuff. But as we started to enter the fall and the end of last year, we took a step back and asked ourselves, what will travel look like in the future in a post pandemic world? And what is the role that Expedia should play? And it took us to a whole new space. So uh, on April 19th, we relaunched the Expedia brand and marked it as a new chapter in Expedia's history. Um, and and probably the biggest change and transformation since the time the company was founded, at least in the context of the Expedia brand. And the big change we have made, and this is built on mountains of research and understanding, you know, how our travelers have changed too, is that we want to be with our travelers every step of the way because we believe it matters who you travel with and who supports you so while historically travel would be for Expedia really primarily about that point of transaction when you go to the site and you purchase that hotel or that air that uh that air ticket or that cruise or that activity yeah. now we want to help you from when you're thinking about travel you're thinking about you know the The next seven summer holidays, I'm trying to figure out where to take your kids, as is the case with me, to when you're, of course, making those reservations. And then as you're on that trip, every step of that trip, until you come back home and enter your own front door. And that's a significant pivot for the brand. So we launched new positioning, you know, with the tagline, it matters who you travel with, with new brand creative, with amazing product enhancements, we in a sense are have re-entered the world as travelers are coming back with a different purpose and a different way to connect and support them through the entire journeys.
1: Are you doing any kind of um safety messaging or uh you know, messaging even just telling people to uh how they should react to, to local or national guidelines? Um we did a story last week about You know, there are a lot of opinions out there about the CDC guidance uh, that just came out, and whether it was too early or was too vague. Um, And it turned out from the people that we talked to that that depending on the audience, you got a very different point of view where, uh, for instance, with customers going into stores, we're very eager to take their masks off in a lot of cases. But retail employees are much less eager um so, so, is safety messaging a big part of what you do, or how do you handle that?
2: yeah, without a doubt it is and and i would uh frank even say that it 's not just safety messaging uh so through the course of the pandemic, we rolled out a whole series of features, for example, you can uh or you could rather when making a flight reservation, choose an airline based on whether they kept the middle seat empty or not um. Mm-hmm. Uh, Uh, when you make a reservation now, uh, whether it's domestic or international, you're given guidance on, you know, what travel restrictions apply for that country or, you know, when you're even sometimes traveling uh, within the United States. Um, we, We have tools that help you understand what are the government rules, what are the regulations, what are the recommendations, and then fundamentally it's it's your choice. You know, we're, we're not in the health and safety business ourselves. So we draw from each local government uh, what the rules and the guidelines are. And then it's our job to make sure that our travelers are armed with all the right information and know that what we're providing them is is trusted and credible and factual so they can make the best decisions. And And that's been a major effort for us. And I would say it's the first part of our entire value proposition of um, being the ultimate travel companion for our travelers. We have to do this. And every year it'll it'll take different forms and shapes. Now it's about health and hygiene, but it'll, it'll have other manifestations in the future.
1: Sure, sure. Speaking of your customers, what are the big questions you as a brand are getting from them? Or what is the major feedback that, that you're hearing from them? Not even so much about Expedia, but about uh, just the questions they have. I mean, there's just still a lot of uncertainty out there. Do you do you find that you're getting a lot of customer reaction in one way or another?
2: Well, what we're seeing is, uh, so, so that there, there, there are a few key teams. So firstly, we see travel coming back in droves. And, customers were eager to travel and as more and more of the country gets vaccinated, they're taking advantage of that and they're excited to do so and they're they're talking about that. Uh, There's there's a much greater appreciation for travel than there may have ever been in the past. Um, What we're also seeing is our customers are looking for someone to help them more deeply and more consistently than ever before. And then they're also, their own travel patterns are changing and the needs and requirements as a result change too. So an example of that is in the fall of last year, there's a surge of interest in, of course, vacation rentals and on Expedia we have vacation rentals. Uh, But tied to that was in car rentals. And the challenge would be that consumers were used to showing up at airports and being able to, you know, just walk down to that uh Hertz car rental uh, uh counter or whichever one they they liked or preferred, uh and get a car and be in that car within ten minutes. Now all of a sudden there was not that same supply and at these uh um uh, airport counters they didn't have cars to to give out. So that led to us needing to educate and communicate on you better book well in advance. Don't just show up at the airport expecting to get the car because everyone's renting cars today. Um, another change that we're seeing and we're hearing a lot from our consumers is that they're thinking more seriously about how to book an airline, a hotel, and an activity all together in one trip because they just – want that peace of mind and they want it all done efficiently and they want the simplicity of a single itinerary because as they've put more emphasis and more value on the travel they want they don't want to have to think about the mechanics of it as much so that's another big shift
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, and then the, the the last thing i would say is that we are finding that consumers are, are our consumers at least our travelers uh they're they're using travel as a way to seek personal growth. They want to go to new cities, new countries, new destinations more than ever
1: that's really interesting so speaking of that uh, how do you uh how How do you as a company deal with the pandemic situation being so different around the world and you know we're we're here we're seeing the light the light at the end of the tunnel. Hopefully, knock on knock on wood. You know the situation is different all over Europe, and it's different all over the world. And, and we'll get to the Olympics in a second. And, and the situation is very different in Japan. As a major company, uh, how uh, how do you deal with with what's such a very complicated global set of circumstances? And and, and how do you message to people about that? Yeah, it's look. It, it hasn't been easy because. There have been a
2: lot of unknowns and and a lot of shifting and moving variables because you know you, you can have COVID case counts dropping and then suddenly spiking. You can have variants sort of hop skipping across the world. You can have uh, confidence in in government communications varying. Uh, there, there are all kinds of factors. The way we think about it is, and, and it, you know, it, it starts with a CEO who led the way with this, is um, n- no one can, can be a soothsayer and know exactly when and how each country is going to open up for more travel. Our job is to be maniacally focused, probably in a way that we've never been before, to, uh, to put our consumers, our travelers. And their concerns and apprehensions uh, and worries and hopes really at the heart of everything we say and everything we do. Uh, while the last one year has been incredibly difficult for the travel industry, the silver lining is that uh in some respects, everyone has understood that it's so difficult and it's given us air cover to just really pacing with our consumers versus trying to be ahead of them or trying to force them to make decisions that they weren't comfortable with. What this means is we do an immense amount of research uh, and have been doing over the last several months in the major countries that we operate. We watch all kinds of uh, data that comes out, whether it's from governments or think tanks or you know, TSA's security data to get a sense of how many people are going through TSA in a given week. And then fundamentally, you know, we we have to make bets as to when and how a country is going to open up because we want to be there for consumers when they're ready to travel. And that kind of thinking went deep into our decision making of when we launched the new brand, which was in April, how we made it a tightly integrated brand and VR and communication story and we partnered with partnered with Joe Jonas uh and, and ran this awesome helping hands program to how you know we are on the verge of launching this amazing Expedia travel week uh uh sale as well. So
1: a lot of factors at play. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And a very it, it, a very complicated position that that you guys are in, but I think also a really exciting one right now. I just want to touch on one of your one of your past roles because there there is so much speculation in the press this week about whether or not the Summer Olympics, which have already been delayed for a whole year in Tokyo, are actually going to happen and happen as planned and, and a lot of questions about how that's going to take place if it does. And um and you worked at Visa once upon a time and Visa of course is one of the big Olympic sponsors. So I'm hoping maybe you can tell us just a little bit about what what is the uncertainty like? What what are the big Olympic sponsors thinking right now and and what are they planning for? And I'm sure they have their fingers crossed that the Tokyo Olympics are going to go forward, but but what what is it like at one of these gigantic brands right now as as they hope to see their Olympic investments go forward. Yeah, so so I
2: of course don't know the very latest from Visa since I'm not there anymore, but I know the folks and you know have been a part of the the Visa campaigns at Olympics for several years. there there are a few ways to think about this. So firstly, any Olympic sponsor and at Expedia, you know, we sponsor uh the, the Liverpool football teams, for example, uh and and, a, and I have a few other major sponsorships, but typically any sponsor first tries to think through the lens of that event and what it does for the fan bases. And, and I think it's, it's hard wrenching to see this sort of on and off pendulum swing when it comes to the Tokyo Olympics, because firstly, it's such an amazing, wonderful thing for the world. You know, it brings the world together in, in Olympics. Uh, they, they bring the world together in a way few other events or activities ever can. And I would suggest that in a pandemic year or coming out of a pandemic, we all need to come together even more and travel and a force for good. And, and, and the Olympics does that. The second thing I would say is Visa, like the other sponsors, are extremely sensitive to, to health. No one wants to be tied to or furthering some kind of activity that, you know, puts people's health at risk. Especially at a time like this, so so that I know is very much a, a concern. The third piece is um, the Olympics serve as a it's it's a it's a massive economic play both for the host country, especially for the host country. So for Tokyo, which is why the Tokyo local governments want the Olympics to go ahead, but the Japanese consumers are much more nervous. Um, And it also serves as a way for the broadcast rights to be incredibly revenue-generating around the world and here in the US. So that's the next piece that creates a lot of tension and stress. And finally, with the sponsors specifically, they've built their marketing plans around the Olympics, around athletes that they're sponsoring, and we do this at Visa, around those moments and those weeks when the media spends would be spiked up, uh, with the intent of getting the downstream business benefit, partnerships would have been formed. In the case of Visa, with banks, so there'd be co-marketing efforts. So it's it's a massive effort around which the entire company comes together. The on and off nature of the Olympics uh, this time, the Tokyo Olympics. You know, I can only imagine how stressful and exhausting it may be without having that clarity. And I'd say this applies to other sponsorships as well. You know, we. We, we, you know, one of our sister brand sponsors, the NBA, Hotels.com, and it's been some similar challenges there, too.
1: Mm. Yeah, again, very complicated issues. Shiv, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, If you want to give us any feedback, as Diana and I walk through the biggest news of the week, of course, you are welcome. Um, So, Diana, let's pick this up with a big appointment, uh a, an appointment people have been speculating about for a year and a half, and that's that there's a new CEO at Omnicom PR Group.
0: Sure. Um, I'm still getting over the only seven summers left with kids comments. Sorry, I have <laughs> I have an eight year old. And um, that gives me nine or ten summers. So now I'm very inspired, and I have to start thinking of. uh,
1: (laughs) No pressure at all.
0: uh, All of these vacations. If
2: (laughs) if you need any ideas, just let
1: me know. Happy to
0: share. (laughs) I'll definitely be contacting you about that.
1: Well, let Uh, me let me follow up on that. Shiv, have you have you picked out any locations? Since since you know you have seven left, have you picked out any locations you want to visit with your family?
2: Yeah so so the next one that's uh, top of our list is uh is uh London. Uh I haven't taken I mean my kids have been to Southern Europe and and to India uh but they've never been to the UK so the UK is next and then right after that is uh, uh well coincidentally is uh, is Japan actually.
0: Oh that's so cool. That's like top of my bucket list. Very nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, so yes, um, Omnicom Public Relations Group has named Chris Foster as CEO effective on June 28th. Foster will oversee Omnicom Group's PR portfolio, uh, which in their PR firms include Fleshman Hillard, Ketchum Porter Novelli, and Marina Mar Communications. Um, and interim CEO, John Doolittle will become chairman of OPRG. And
1: I'm I'm sorry, I was just going to say, and tell us really quick, who's replacing him on an interim basis over at his former agency, BCW.
0: Sure. So Foster was most recently BCW's president of North America and BCW named Brooke Hovey, um, who's chief growth officer as interim North America president. Um, it's right. also uh named teresa henderson c o o for North America, so they've kind of reorganized their operations in um in the region
1: I, w- I would just say that that the industry has talked a lot about um uh, about diversity and a lack of diversity at the uppermost levels of agencies and the uppermost levels of companies and so seeing seeing chris get appointed to what what is such an interesting and powerful role within the industry where you're overseeing a number of the biggest and most notable notable and and firms with the the longest histories i think is is really important and i think that's a welcome sight so
0: absolutely uh, and he yeah. said he said um as far as being a black executive he will use his voice and position where he can to influence real change So um, he said he's hopeful about where the PR industry is now, but there's obviously a lot more work to be done. Yeah,
1: glad to see it with Chris's appointment. And hopefully we will get a follow up call with him uh, in about a month when he starts his new role over at Omnicom. We'll hear a little bit about his plans. Um, Mm -hmm. Okay, so in other executive moves, we have a new top communicator uh, at America.
0: Yes, Audi Audi of America has promoted Emily Cotter to SVP and chief communications officer. So she will report to President Daniel Weisland and lead U.S. public relations. Um, And the last person to lead comms for Audi of America was Tara Rush, and she was promoted to SVP and CMO in December. And she's kind of been overseeing comms until um, Cotter now moved into the position permanently so um yeah that's that's right
1: and, yeah. and Tara, of course, is a veteran of Heineken, and um, I always, <laughs> I always have this kind of thing in my mind that I'm like running comms for a brand like Audi must be so cool, right? You know, you get to you get to be up close and work on all of these, these terrific automobiles. But it's that's a tough gig, you know, doing running communications for any car brand because you have all these things like recalls and, and you know. All, all all kinds of issues with dealerships and things like that. So uh, the real challenge. Yeah. yeah. Yes, for yeah. sure. Wishing her the best of luck. Uh, tell us a little yeah, bit about Frank. this, Philip. Oh, sorry. Go on, show. Yeah. If
2: if I may mention, you know, I've got to admit, I I find it interesting how increasingly over the last few years, you have more and more comms professionals who move back and forth between the brand side and the corporate comms side, and and it really seems those Marketing and comms worlds are starting to come closer together in in, in a way that I think is leading to uh, great overall communications for these bands.
1: Yeah, and I, I, I think they are coming. I agree with you. I think they are coming closer together. And I think you are hearing a lot of that from the agency world. Um, in, in ways that are backed up with numbers and backed up with percentages. Now, um, you know, yeah. one one that keeps we keep hearing a lot about is um, the number of non-earned media activations that BCW is working on nowadays. Um, I know Donna Imperato, the CEO there, Diana has mentioned that to us a few times, and, and uh, you know, we just posted a story on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, about them working towards what's so called Earn Plus, right, Diana? Yeah. And bringing on more people to work on that, and so I, I agree with you, Shiv. I I think more people. I, I think these things are truly coming closer together now than than they have in the past. In in, in our case, you know, so we work with Zeno, and and increasingly the lines
2: between the traditional agency and the PR agency are also starting to blur, and it all just leads to better ideas and better work
1: does it Does it lead to a little bit of a challenge too, in terms of of who is doing what, as there's more of an overlap in capabilities among the agencies, or is it just yeah. sort of uh, you know uh, the more the more expertise the better?
2: yeah, it, it definitely requires active management because it can create all kinds of nervousness and tension, but with the right active management from the brand side. Uh, I do believe it It just leads to amazing non-traditional ideas that, you know, help the brand, at least
1: in our case, like with our Joe Jonas work and helping and help us punch above our weight. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Diana, tell us a little bit about Philips. Uh, speaking of the number of agencies having to work together, uh, tell us a little bit about Philips and what they have done uh, with a massive pan marketing account that includes longstanding relationships with two PR firms.
0: Sure. So, Philips has selected Omnicom Group as its global creative media and communications agency partner, um, extending its decade-long relationship with PR agencies Ketchum and Fleischman-Hillard. At least four global holding companies were invited to participate in a $300 million review, um, and other companies asked to pitch included Interpublic Group, Dentsu, WPP, and MDC Partners. Um, So the integrated team will be led by Fleischman Hillard and Ketchum for communications, TBWA for creative, and OMD for media, with additional work done by Interbrand, Critical Mass, and Omnicom Precision Marketing Group.
1: Interesting stuff. So uh, kudos to Fleischman and Ketchum for holding on to this account. Big, big account. Uh, and global work for uh, for the Dutch-based company. Um, okay, Diana, walk us through a little bit of the corporate reaction to the first anniversary of Ger- of George Floyd's murder.
0: Sure. So um, many companies condemned the death of George Floyd at the height of the Black Lives Matter protests. Um, but have companies actually followed through on promises made after his death? Um, our reporter, Betsy Kim, actually looked into what Amazon, Apple, Bank of America, Citibank, General Motors, Reebok, Target and Walmart said and, um, and what they've done since May 2020 in terms of DE&I efforts. Um, so I would be talking for a very long time if I said kind of every single detail of what they've done so you can go and read that on our site but i can kind of bring up um, for example bank of america um, in june 2020 promised to spend 1 billion over four years to address racial and, and economic inequality and in march 2021 um, it increased the commitment to 1.25 billion um, they've also been working on making their board of directors more diverse, um, their management team more diverse, things like that. So a lot of these companies have followed through and, and even done more this year. A few of them, uh, the CEOs put out statements um, such as oh, I'm sorry, go on.
1: What What is the consumer reaction been to this uh, and the, the reaction on social media? I mean, what what is the sense out there? Is it that companies are taking action or that it's a step in the right direction, that more needs to be done? Or are, are there customers that are just wary that these companies are just doing lip service and not really following through?
0: I think it's kind of a mix. Um, yeah, I think people want to see companies following through a little bit more. These companies on this list are definitely, definitely seem to be doing that. Um, but yeah, I think people don't want companies to just kind of jump on a bandwagon when it's appropriate and just make a statement that doesn't actually follow through and, and consumers are hyper aware of when a company is doing that. And, um, yeah, so companies definitely need to, you know, they need to follow Yeah, their, you know, prove what they're doing with numbers and things like that. For sure. Yeah,
1: and and as our younger colleagues remind us all the time, uh, the Gen Zers and the younger consumers will will keep receipts, as they say, uh, of <laughs> what companies follow through on that they promise, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so they they are going to hold them to that. So they better, uh, you know, they better follow through. Shiv, do you do you have any any thoughts on the corporate reaction to the? The anniversary of George floyd's murder, or what what companies should be doing or shouldn't be doing
2: well i i I think the key piece is and and I think Diane you mentioned this is it's actually really easy for a brand to give it lip service and and that's sort of the the most massive watch out um it i mean the the George Floyd moment was such an important uh uh, sort of moment for all of us. Uh for for us at Expedia Group, it served as uh a way to reconfirm uh our commitment to I and D and to really look as holistically as possible across our entire business in terms of how we're thinking about inclusion and diversity. So everything from you know talent recruitment to uh who's in our advertising, to imagery on the home pages, to uh you know, who is behind the camera when we hire partners to do advertising with us, to uh is is the, the more diverse coming to the forefront. So for us, it was as much if not more, about internal driving the internal cultural evolution because you know it's constant learning than it was to try and make some fancy public statement. Um and, and this is something our CEO is incredibly committed to uh and and, and we, we keep moving forward on that really aggressively. Uh, do we feel that we need to uh, uh sort of sell the world on what we're doing? I would say that's secondary to to actually working on the hard change.
1: That's good to hear and and it's such an important issue. Um, Shiv, thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you coming on. I think we're all thinking about traveling so much more than we were an hour hour ago. So thanks for putting. I'm happy that in, to hear that. <laughs> so thanks for putting that in in all of our heads and probably our listeners' heads too. Diana, thank you for coming on. Listen, this has been um, the latest edition of the PR Week podcast. We will see you again next week. Just one quick public service announcement: this summer you'll be seeing our weekly newsletter a day early. So look for that on early Thursday afternoons instead of early Friday afternoons. And of course the PR week podcast, uh, you will see in, you know, both our daily breakfast briefing and, uh, our weekly and even weekender newsletters. So look out for that. Okay. Shiv, thanks again for joining us, Diana. Thanks again. Thank for you very much. And, uh, this has been another edition of the PR week.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the PR Week. To find more episodes, visit PRWeek.com.